Let's have a prayer together. May we do that? Father, thank you for life, for health, for strength, for the privilege of being here with your people. We give you glory and we give you praise. And now, Father, in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray you will open the word of God to us and open us to you. And accomplish all, Lord, that is in your heart to do this week. And I thank you for it. By faith in Jesus' name, amen. Let's open the word of God together, shall we? I want you to open your Bible, please, to the gospel according to Matthew. Now, full disclosure, I'm reading through the gospel records again right now and uh, spending a good bit of time in them. I've been so immersed in Matthew I'm going to preach to you out of the overflow of what God's saying to me right now. Is that all right with you? And I want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter number 5. When you get there, don't turn me off. You know, the problem with familiar scriptures is that they are so familiar. And I think sometimes when you come to a portion of scripture like Matthew chapter 5, the most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount, it's so easy to say, I know that already. I, I would say to you, it's not about what we know, it's about what we do with what we know. And so I want you to pray, even as we approach the Scripture in this hour, that the Holy Spirit of God will open your understanding, will turn the light on. In fact, let's do something, all right? Do you have a Bible ribbon or a Bible marker there in your Bible? I want you to mark Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible because... I intend to, to live here with you for the next few days. We're going we're gonna to camp in Matthew chapter number 5. We're not going to leave it. Now, we may look at some other scriptures that connect to it, but we're going to, to study all in this portion of scripture, and I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you not just to be in Matthew 5 when you come to the church house. I'm going to ask you to be in Matthew 5 at your house this week. I'm going to ask you on your own time to read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. I'm not going to preach the whole thing. In fact, we're going to concentrate on the opening part of it, but I think it'll be good for us to live in it this week and let the Lord Jesus speak to all of us. If you have a red letter edition Bible, the words of Christ are in red. It's all the word of God, of course, but you'll see quickly this is the Lord Jesus speaking to us. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets 
which were before you. I don't know about you. I'd like to, I'd like to live in that kind of blessing. How many of you would like to live in that kind of blessing? I mean, Jesus just explained how to be blessed in a cursed world, how to be happy in a miserable day, how, how to rejoice when everything around you is not at all what it ought to be. In fact, the audience Jesus is speaking to in Matthew chapter number 5, it's a very mixed multitude. I'll show you that in just a moment. But it is a group of people who are living through a moral revolution in their world because the Romans have invaded them and, and conquered them. And so now all the Roman mores of society, which were not really morals, they were immoral principles, were now pervading everything. So they were living through a moral revolution. They were living in the hopes of a political revolution. Sound familiar yet? hoping somehow somebody would come and throw down that government and institute another government and just make things better. And Jesus steps onto the stage of human history and opens his mouth and begins to speak. And they live in this great expectancy and anticipation. Maybe he's the one who will bring the new government. And he was going to bring a new government, but they missed the fact it was internal, not external. It was not a physical throne to overthrow Rome, that instead he wanted God to be enthroned inside of them, to, to rule and reign in their hearts. And Jesus begins to speak. And what does he give them? Not a moral revolution, not a political revolution, a spiritual revolution. Revolutionary truth. And today, in the next few days, in Matthew 5, I want to concentrate on these handful of verses we've just read together. We won't exhaust them. You never exhaust the infinite word of God, but I want to dig in them. And I'd like to show you by the grace and help of the Holy Spirit these secrets to spiritual victory because I'm convinced of something that in the worst circumstances on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ has made a way so that his followers can still live in the blessing. Now let's begin right here in verse number one. The Bible says, "In seeing the multitudes... He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And I want to pause and say, Lord, teach me now. Speak to me now. Would you make that your prayer? Even now, you don't even have to bow your head. Just breathe a prayer to God. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Oh, God, teach me. Help me to understand. Help me to get what it is you're trying to say to me this week. For a few moments, we're going to go to the Lord's school. That's what we're going to do. Now, how many of you are still in school of any type? Would you raise your hand? You're in school of any type, all right? Good, and I see people of all ages in school. That's very good. How many of you at least remember school long, long ago? Yeah. How many of you hated school? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Well, this is different. This is a different kind of school. This is, this is not academic, all right? This is, this is spiritual. Look, please. When the Lord Jesus began to teach, it was not information he was giving, it was revelation he was giving. We're not coming to simply get, get more facts and, and data and that kind of thing. Knowledge puffeth up. God deliver us from this idea that if we get more in our head or more in our notebook, we are spiritual people. Look, you can have a head full of knowledge and a page full of notes and a heart empty of God. When we come to the Lord's school, Look, this is not Sunday school. This is Monday school and Tuesday school, Wednesday school and Thursday school and Friday school and Saturday school because the Lord is teaching every day. See, you never graduate from the Lord's school. 
So when you come to the Lord's school, you're not coming for, for just more information. You're coming for revelation and application. In other words, Lord, what is it you want me to see? What is it you want to say to me? And then by the grace and help of the Lord, what is it I'm supposed to do with what it is you're saying to me? In every school, there are two or three things. I want you to write them down. Would you please get your, get your pen out, class? A short pencil is better than a long memory, all right? So I want you to write them down just like the teacher would say in school. And I would encourage you this week in Lord's school to be ready to write some things down as God speaks to you. Here's the first thing you have to have in every school. Number one, you have to have a teacher. That's profound, isn't it? So somebody has to teach. And let's get this one out of the way right up front. I'm not your teacher this week. I'm not the teacher. I work for the teacher. I, I'm one of the teacher's messenger boys. That's all I am. I, I, I'm just a mouthpiece for the teacher. The teacher is the Lord himself, and by the person of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would guide us into all truth, the Lord is the one who's trying to speak to us. Do you believe God still speaks? Of course he does. Through his word and by the work of his Holy Spirit, the Lord is the great teacher with the capital T. So look at the teacher. Look at verse number one. Notice what he does. First, he sees us. Mark that little word in your Bible, seeing the multitudes. Aren't you glad Jesus sees you? And by the way, he didn't see you like everybody else sees you. See, you people dress up good for church. Congratulations. You clean up good and come to church, and, and we see the, the exterior. But remember, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the Lord is looking beneath the surface and holding your seat. God sees you better than you see you. See, you think, you think, well, I, I know me. I mean, I know all my warts and flaws and failures and, and what other people don't know, the secret things. In fact, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord answers that question and said, I, the Lord, try the hearts. Do you understand that God sees you even better than you see yourself? Because God knows every motive, every imagination, every secret thought, everything you would never utter out loud, everything you'd be ashamed for anybody else to know about you. God sees you. In fact, let's do something just for fun. Hold your place here. Put your left hand, Matthew 5, coming right back. Turn over to the gospel according to Luke for just a moment. We're comparing Scripture with Scripture. And you might want to mark this in your Bible because this is Luke's account of the very same truth that Jesus taught. A little different context, but look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. Here's how it begins in Luke's account. You got it? Luke 6 verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his what? I want you to do something. Look in Matthew 5, again, verse 1. It says he sees the multitudes. Luke 6, verse 20 says he looks at who? Do you understand that in the crowd, God knows you individually? I'm standing here on this platform looking at a multitude. By the way, thank you for coming to the Bible study hour. Thank you for coming to the, to the early Sunday school hour. I commend you for that, but I must tell you, I'm just looking at the multitude right now. I'm, I'm looking at the crowd. Oh, I love this thought. But the master, the, the real teacher, he is looking individually at every person that is here. He doesn't see you collectively. He sees you personally, and he knows the deep need of your life. So go back to Matthew 5 and look at it. He sees you. Then the Bible says he went up into a mountain. Write this down. The teacher not only sees you, but he calls you to himself wonder why Jesus went up on the mountain? 
Could he have taught by the Sea of Galilee? He would on other occasions. Uh, could he have just stayed right where he was and began to speak? Of course, the Lord taught everywhere. But in this particular occasion, with this tremendous truth he had revealed to them, he literally takes them from the bottom of the mountain up to the high place. Oh, I love this thought. Above the fray, above the frivolity, out of the cities, away from the busyness of life, outside of the normal schedule and pace of it all. Watch, please. Separating them from every distraction so he could have their undivided attention. He brings them to the mountain place. A few weeks ago, I stood on that mountain. The Mount of Beatitudes. They built a church there now, which really is not much to look at. Uh, They tried to commemorate it in some way. But I, I turned my back to where all of the all of the traditional things were and just looked out across that mountain and then the valley beneath. It was beautiful. It's the Mount of Beatitudes. And I tried to imagine. Look, use a little sanctified imagination, all right? Put yourself in Jesus' sandals for just a moment and look at the multitudes surrounding him. They're seated on that mountain and Jesus has brought them away from their homes and away from their businesses and away from the Roman government and away from their cities and villages and communities and away from their friends and now they're seated there with no one but him. Oh, I love that picture. Can I tell you what we need this week? For some group of people, look at me please, for some group of people to say for the next few days, I'm going to give God my undivided attention and see what it is God will say to me. Lord, speak to me. And separate me from every distraction and everything that would pull on me and keep me from your best. Oh God, speak to me. The Lord sees, the Lord calls. Look at the verse again. And when he was set... Typically, we're accustomed to our preachers and teachers standing, and sometimes we use a pulpit like this or or a lectern. But in fact, in Jesus' day, the teachers did not stand. The teachers would sit, and there was a reason for that. You remember Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel in the book of Acts? The, the, The seated place was the place of honor. So it was the place of authority. Please don't miss this. When the Lord Jesus sat down, that wasn't just to get comfortable. When he he sat down before he spoke, it wasn't just to say, all right, settle in, we're going to be here for a little while. No, no. When he sat down, he was taking the posture and position of the one in authority and they were sitting at his feet. Please don't miss this. If you really want to know what it is God has to say, then you must be willing to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and let his authority be the authority over every part of your life. So basically, watch this. We are kneeling. He is seated. Hey, let me ask you a question. When the whole thing comes full circle and we're actually with the Lord around the throne, what will our posture be? Watch this. He will be seated and we will be kneeling. And I'm not suggesting to you that physically you've got to be on your knees all week this week, but I'm talking more about the posture of your soul, the the attitude of your heart as you come to the Word of God and as you come to the God of the Word. Dear Lord, you sit on the throne. You, You take the seat of honor. You be the teacher. You be the master. And I will be your servant and I will be the student that is kneeling at your feet just taking in everything it is you have to say to me. Instead of being Martha running around the house 
trying to get more done this week. I, I will be Mary seated at the feet of Jesus and praying, Lord, speak to me. And then notice verse number two, he opens his mouth. You see the progression here. He sees them, he calls them, he sits down before them, and then he opens his mouth. You know what would be really sad? It would be really sad if we had several days of special meetings and the only person's voice who, that you heard was mine. That would be really sad to me. In fact, the truth of the matter is, very, very shortly my voice will be silent, but the word must ring in your heart. And my prayer when I come to a meeting like this is not, Lord, help these people listen to me, help these people hear what I have to say. My prayer is this, dear God, let them forget me and let, let them forget my sermon outlines, but let them leave knowing they have heard the greater voice, the voice of Almighty God. It's like John the Baptist coming on the scene and saying, look, I'm just a voice, but I rejoice to hear the voice of the bridegroom. There's always a greater voice that is speaking. Don't be distracted by the preacher. Don't be distracted by the messenger. Look beyond the messenger. Let him be hidden behind the cross of Christ. Let him be just another man delivering truth to you. But recognize that the God of heaven is seeking to speak to you through his word. Watch this. And if he has an open mouth, we must have open ears. And we must have open hearts. Let me ask you a personal question, sir. Ma'am, let me ask you a personal question. Are you wide open to God? I mean wide open. Can God say anything he needs to say to you the next few days? Uh, let's go a little deeper. If he does speak to you, will you say yes immediately? You see, this is the point we all have to come to. So you come to the second thing. Write this down, would you please? You not only have a teacher in every school, but number two, this is deep, right? You have students. And the Lord Jesus is the teacher. Guess who the students are? We are. You know, it's funny, but how many parents are here? Would you raise your hand? Parents? Yeah. And uh, our children now, Morgan got married last year. And I prayed for the rapture to come before she got married. Did you know that? And God did not answer my prayer. So she got married, married a great young man. They're serving the Lord. And, and Lauren's 20. And Grant, our youngest, how is this possible, is 17 and a senior in high school. And when we started out training our children, I, I had this idea, I'm the father, I'm the daddy, I'm the teacher, and they're the students. And there's a sense in which that's exactly right. Parents are supposed to teach their children. And all God's parents said, amen. But I've lived long enough now to realize that in the home, all of us have a lot to learn. Can I get another amen on that? How many of you have lived long enough to realize sometimes God will use your children to teach you things? See, we have this idea, I, I'm the teacher. I got something to say. And then we come to church. Then we come to church, and people like me stand up, and sometimes we can get the attitude, well, I got something to say. Or, or people come in, and they sit down in comfortable seats, and they listen to a guy like me for 30 or 40 minutes, and they say, well, he's the teacher. He's, he's the person speaking. I think we all need to turn this thing inside out and understand, look, please, that the only person who really has something to say that can change our lives forever is the Lord God himself. He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So get your ears on, would you? Get your, get your ears wide open to God and come to the Lord this week and say, all right, Lord, if you want to teach, I want to learn. If you're willing to speak, I'm willing to listen. If, if you will just give me truth, I will obey whatever it is you say to me. Now, the multitude was quite a mixed multitude. You, you know chapter and verse divisions are not inspired, right? I'm glad we have them, or we'd all still be looking for Matthew 5, verse 1 right now. So I'm grateful for that. But sometimes you've got to read through the chapter and verse divisions to get the big picture, to get the whole context. So back up to chapter 4 just for a minute. Look at how chapter 4 ends. Look at verse number 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. So he'd already been teaching many, many places and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought on him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. Now look at verse 25. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. You know what he just described in verse 25? They came from everywhere. And you know why he was so famous? Because he'd been healing people. I mean, let's just get real. If we started healing blind people in here and, and, and lepers and, and raising dead people, how many of you think we could get a crowd? Ah, so you couldn't get them in the building. They'd be lying down the street just trying to get in the place just to get a glimpse, just to experience it, just to be around. But please don't miss this. It's at that juncture when he is famous. It is at that juncture when the word is getting out and the people are coming in that he then goes up onto the mountain. Please don't miss this. There are some people that are curious observers who, who want to show, who are interested in a nice meeting, who, are, who love to hear a good song or, or want to hear a good sermon, but that's as far as it goes. They, they stay on the periphery. And let me tell you what Jesus is looking for. He is trying to identify those who will come into the inner circle and who will truly be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And frankly, our American Christianity, which is a thousand miles from Acts Christianity has really produced a spectator religion where people come into beautiful buildings like this and sit for an hour or two and just observe and watch things happen, but they're on the bench and not in the game. And here's what Jesus is about to unveil in Matthew chapter number 5. He's trying to show these multitudes of people that this is not just about seeing something or, or observing something or enjoying something or, or receiving something. It is about the difference it is going to make in your life. In fact, that's the very meaning, the essence of the word disciple. It means learner. I'm looking across an audience of people at varying stages of life. I didn't come to ask how old you are. I didn't even come to ask how long you've been in this church or how long you've been a Christian or how many of these meetings you've been in. I came to ask, are you still a student? Are you still hungry after God? Do you still thirst after the Lord? Are you still willing for God to reprove you? Are, you? are you open enough for the Lord to teach you something and take you to the next level in your own Christian walk with Jesus Christ? Are you still a student? Or have you taken the place only Jesus should take? Which is the place of the one who knows everything. Only Jesus knows everything. You know, it's interesting. There were several groups of people in this multitude besides the common folks. How many of you are glad Jesus loves common people? Yes? But besides the common people, there were lots of interesting groups represented there. 
The Herodians were there. You know who the Herodians were? Those were the people who had sworn allegiance to, to Herod. They were worldly people. They were pragmatists. They were all about the money. They were all about pleasure. The Herods, the family of the Herods were some of the most wicked, vile men that ever walked the planet, and they had a following. And so in every crowd, there are the worldly people who really are not thinking much about eternity. They're only thinking about this world. They're thinking about what they can get and what they can enjoy. And the Lord says, no, no, I'm not looking for, for worldly-minded people. I'm looking for people who are interested in eternal things. There were zealots in this group. By the way, I love this. You, you read the list of all the disciples, the original followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know one of them was a zealot? His name was Simon. That's always fascinated me. Do you know who the zealots were? The zealots were violent people. They were radical extremists who were so sick of Rome, they were plotting all the time how they could assassinate Caesar and how they could overthrow the Roman government. That's who the zealots were. And I love this. Oh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What does Jesus do? He takes even one of those zealots and he changes what he is zealous for. And instead of him being a man filled with hatred and anger and wrath, he makes him a man full of love and full of joy and full of peace, preaching the, the good news of Christ and carrying the sword of the Spirit. Oh, I love this. Jesus is not looking for people who are simply zealous about making this world a better place from which men will go to hell. He is looking for those who will say, I want to know God and I want the great zeal and passion of my life to be the truth of Jesus Christ. And in that group, they were Sadducees. Those were people that didn't believe truth. They didn't believe doctrine. They, they didn't believe the spiritual. They didn't believe the supernatural. They, they just weren't interested in any of that. The Lord is looking for people who will say that I believe that God is greater and God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants, with whomever He wants. I believe that God is God and I am not. That's what He's looking for. There were the Pharisees. You know the Pharisees. They were the strict religious people. <laughs> I've been thinking this week, how deadening religion is. It just, it doesn't bring life, it brings death. Why do you think people are so sick of churches? Dead orthodoxy. Empty religion and vain tradition. And for the record, that's not just denominational churches. That's a lot of our churches too, where we go through the motions and mechanics of it all, but something is missing. We have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Do you understand? Those people exist in every generation. And I'll tell you the dirty secret. Every one of us have a little bit of Pharisee in us. Isn't it easy, honestly, isn't it easy to spot the Pharisee in somebody else? I mean, I spot your hypocrisy at a hundred yards and tell you all about it. What about my hypocrisy? What about me thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think? What, what about that? What about me comparing myself to somebody else instead of to the perfect standard of what the Lord Jesus wants for my life? Do you understand? The Lord says, forget your religion and forget the empty traditions and forget the vain repetitions and forget all of the, all of the, the spiritual cliches we've learned to say properly. Forget all of that and let me speak to you. It was a group called the Essenes. They're not nearly as well known as the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they were the religious recluses. We actually went to where the Essenes 
were in the Judean wilderness. It's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were found some years ago. It's a barren wasteland. And I looked around and I thought, my soul, people lived here? Oh, yes, they lived here. And they went out there because they thought if they could just get away from all the, the dirty, nasty people, then they could be clean and right. And they wore white garments all the time. Every time you saw them, they were, they were in white garments. <laughs> By the way, that was the same Judean wilderness where John the Baptist came out and said, you're all a bunch of vipers. That's what you are. Isn't that interesting? Because they, they were, were dealing with all of these external things, but they missed the fact that the heart is what must be adjusted, that it's the inside that must be changed. And listen to me, church, the answer is not to crawl into a shell and stick your head in the sand, become a religious recluse, and say, if I can just get away from all the dirty people, look, the problem is not their dirt, the problem is our dirt. Isn't it funny? We want to talk about how bad the world has gotten. Look, judgment must begin at the house of God. When are the Lord's people going to get serious about dealing with our own sin? I go to churches every week for revival meetings, and people say, well, I tell you, preacher, we're glad you're here because we really need revival. I'm going to give you the translation of that. We need everybody else to get right with God. The old spiritual had it right. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's... Me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You will know revival has come to this church. You will know revival has come to this church. Not when the building is packed. Not when lots of people are getting saved. No, no. You will know revival has come to this church when mature Christians start dealing with their sin and stop excusing it. When besetting sins are no longer excused or blamed on somebody else and God's people who've been saved a while get, start getting thoroughly right with God and right with one another. And you know what that takes? It takes the heart of a student to say, Lord, teach me. Lord, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. There's a third thing I want you to write down, would you please? Because in the Lord's school, like in every school, there must not only be a teacher and students, but number three, there must be goals and objectives. Any educators here? Just curious. Any educators, former educators? Yeah. So all you educators know what I'm talking about. In a classroom, in a school, in an educational process, there's always goals. That's the ultimate you're trying to accomplish. And then there are objectives to help you reach the goals. And I love this. If you start in verse number three, down through verse number 11, these beatitudes, these, these blessings, you have the goal and you have the objectives. What is the goal? The goal is always blessing. You know why that is? Because the God of the Bible is the God of blessing. Aren't you glad that you know the God of blessing? Look, look, sin brings a curse. Jesus brings the blessing. What was the first thing God did in the garden when he made man? Anybody remember the book of Genesis? Did he give him his job first? Did he tell him go name all the animals first? Read it for yourself. The book of Genesis tells us that as soon as God made man and woman, he blessed them. That's profound. From the very beginning, God was revealing that his heart was to bless man. Look, it is sin that holds back the blessing of God from our lives. So you've got to deal with the sin, get everything out of God's way, so that then the blessing of the Lord can come. The goal is always blessing. And for the record, this word blessed, you should mark it. It's the first word of verse 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11. Almost like the Lord wants to emphasize it, right? It's not the normal everyday word for happiness and joy. It wasn't the common word. It was the attainment of a goal, an ideal. Did you know this same word is actually used for God in the New Testament? The blessed God. Same word. You know what he's saying? 
Every blessing is in Him. This, this blessing is not a thing. It's not a formula. It's not a process. This blessing is the person of God Himself. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's our happy Savior. And if you want to know His joy and His gladness and His fullness and His blessing, then you've got to get to Jesus. Oh, don't miss this because the teacher is also the enabler. Do you understand that it is impossible to live in that blessing? It is impossible to apply these Beatitudes apart from a work of grace in your heart. God did not give the Beatitudes to give us one more list of rules to check off and boxes to say, I did that. He gave these Beatitudes to reveal that the great need of every man is that which only God can do in our hearts. Did you know that in Jesus' day there was a beautiful island named Cyprus? still exists. And the Isle of Cyprus was like a great tourist destination in, in that day. Do you know what they called it? The blessed isle. The exact same word. The happy place. The insinuation was if you can just get to Cyprus, you'll be happy. If you can just get on that island, you'll be separated from, from everything that is miserable and you'll, you'll enjoy. They have all you need there. Well, the truth is no place has that. I love this. Jesus took that word and used it for his way of living. Watch, please. In a sea of sin, in a world of fallen humanity, may I tell you, Jesus Christ stands as that island of blessing and joy and every good, glad, glorious thing is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So the goal is blessing. If the goal is blessing, what are the objectives? Would you write this down? The objectives are always obedience. Because obedience is always the way to the blessing. You don't have to seek the blessing. People say, I'm seeking God's blessing. You don't seek the blessing, friend. It's not some slot machine religion we're talking about. No, no. You obey God, and as you obey God, God gives the blessing. You don't work it up. You can't manufacture it. God himself gives it. And by the way, if you obey it, you won't miss it. You will know God's best for your life. The last time I was in this church, I preached to you from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear, and they that keep the word of this prophecy, some things never change. The blessing comes to those who read the word of God and hear the voice of God and obey the truth of God because that's what the Lord's trying to teach us in this school. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I'm not giving an invitation for people to come forward in this Sunday school hour, but I am giving an application. Would you make the application? Because it's all vain if it doesn't get real to you. Would you pray right now, Lord, speak to me this week? Just ask him. That's a prayer he'll answer. Lord, speak to me this week. Now, wait a minute, don't, don't pray if you're not willing to obey. I dare you. I dare you. Would you say to the Lord, Lord, whatever you say to me, I'll respond to. Whatever you tell me to do, Lord, I'll do that. Don't wait till then. Settle that now. 
you pray this from your heart? Lord Jesus, teach me. And give me the heart of a willing student. Oh, Father, I'm praying right now. Teach me. I'm not asking you to speak to these people first. Speak to me, Lord. Please speak to me. Lord, accomplish in our hearts this week everything you want to accomplish. May we hear the voice of Jesus who is full of grace and truth. And may our lives be different because of it. And every time we open the word, Lord, every time we open the word, may the spirit of truth do exactly what Jesus promised and guide us into that truth. Father, may there be spiritual breakthroughs and because of that, spiritual blessing this week. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.